Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Claire Corby, who's the founder of Capital Buyers Agency. Now, this week we're zooming in to ACT and Canberra, so it's a real Canberra special. We have a chat to Claire about her background in accountancy and how she escaped to become a buyers agent, how she got into property, but really zoom into the Canberra market and some great tips on what investors need to be looking out for if they're investing in the ACT. Some of the quirks up upcoming suburbs and areas for investors to be looking at it's a really interesting insight into an unusual market within australia but a big one with some great potential as well here's claire claire corby thank you for joining me on geared for growth Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to, to getting you on. We've uh, had a couple of good uh, unrecorded chats in the past, so hopefully the uh, the microphones won't uh, won't distract us on this one. For for people that haven't heard of you, Claire, could you give us an insight into who you are and what you specialise in? Excellent. Yeah, I'm a buyer's agent, so I specialise in buying Canberra real estate for my clients. That'll do. That's that's succinct. Um, Bit of bit of dirt on on perhaps a younger Claire. The posters on the bedroom wall growing up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid of the '80s and the '90s. So uh, what was on my walls? My friends had all the the video hits. Um, you know, the posters you used to rip out of the magazines, but I didn't really go or the Dolly magazines. I didn't go for Prince or George Michael or anything. I had a um, I went to an art uh, exhibition one day. And I bought a huge print of Monet's garden. Ah. So, yes, a bit of a, a different uh, childhood bedroom perhaps. But, yeah, yeah, that was my cup of tea. Have you been to see the real thing? Oh, no. It's still no. there. Still yeah. there. Oh, well, I'm hoping it'll still be there in a couple of years when we get over there. But, yes, there's a few things on the bucket list. I think it will be. Now, what about property? How did you get started in property and what was your first investment? Oh, it's sort of hard to, I guess, put a finger on when I got started, I guess it was always just sort of there. Uh, the first investment, I mean, obviously we bought our own sort of place in our early 20s and we built a property, but that wasn't an investment, but it was a good a good uh, taste for, for getting into the action. Uh, first deal, we were a money partner, but that didn't go down so well. I am um, a bit of a control freak and I, I wanted control. So our first property we got out of that and then our first property we bought was when I bought at auction and that was a learning experience in itself yeah I um I researched uh, the minuscule details of this deal for about six to twelve months I've been looking around it was just over the border in Queanbeyan New South Wales and it was a development site and I knew I could put some um, three townhouses on there so I'd, I'd spent months and months sort of you know getting my eye in and going hard early oh definitely you know analysis paralysis that was me so eventually I made the, made the jump and it was funny because at the auction um everyone there all the neighbors turn up and it was a development site clearly corner block beautiful access north aspect and all the rest and um I was there with my I think he was about six months old my six-month-old eldest at the time, and uh, yeah, he was he was with me. So I looked like a young mum, and well, of course I was. And all these other developers were there, 
And uh, and they were the bidding, you know, started off and off they went, and then it got sort of to the point where we're like, okay, we're paying about one ten k per site, so we got up to sort of three twenty k for this site, and they all started sort of petering off a bit. And I had the neighbours coming up to me saying, "I'll give you another thousand to take on that developer." Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They clearly thought I was, and I had to sort of, you know, go, "Oh, you know, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt the auction to explain my intentions for this property." But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, won the on the auction and went ahead with the development. But it was it was a very interesting experience going through that. So they were thinking this 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 poor young lady who's got the the new family just wants a place to live, and these greedy developers are just looking for profit. So they're getting behind you when all along you were a greedy developer yourself. <laughs> oh, no, wasn't it awful? Oh, I felt so. Uh, but at the end of the day, I got into it because. I really wanted to to see some good quality development going up. There are a lot of just, you know, maximise the site usage. Let's chuck as many two beddies on this as we possibly can. So they would have been on your side anyway, but that that just goes to show you you can't judge a book by its cover. No, you really don't. It was their fault, really. Yeah, yeah, but you know, nothing prepared me for that. Being in the moment, all of that research and everything, and then it all goes out the window as soon as the, you know. When you're in the action. Well, I definitely want to dive into that and how you help people as uh, as a as a buyer's agent as well. But just going back a little bit further, and I don't necessarily want to embarrass you, but you once were an accountant. Now we've probably picked up some clues <laughs> with all this analysis that you've done already. Um, I'm assuming that once people sort of become accountants, they're sort of trapped forever, and they you know they die wearing corduroy. What um, what happened with you? How did you make it out? How did I escape? Oh, gosh, yes. I was definitely a square peg in a round hole there. <laughs> I um, I was always good at numbers, and I, I realized early on in my career I was working for one of the big four firms, and I looked around at the partners and I thought, I don't want this. I'm on this trajectory to become a partner here. That's the path that you're on, and, you know, people drop off along the way, of course, but uh, that's the sort of the end goal there. And I thought, I'm just, I'm not passionate about this. I really like the advisory side of things that we're doing here, but the actual work, yeah, just not really that interested. So I went, up. Nope. One day I walked in, shut the door. Monday morning, my partner said, right, what's going on? <laughs> I said, I don't want to be an accountant. So like, right, we've got a problem, don't we? And he was really lovely. So <laughs> we've I got a problem, that. don't we? You work yeah. at an accounting firm. Yeah, so I guess I had the, the vision to say, early on, look, all those four years at uni and all the extra training you have to do and no, didn't want to do the CA program, chuck it out the window, no, I'm out. I often joke about sort of people saying, what do you want to be when you grow up and being a quantity surveyor myself, obviously that's a ridiculous thing to say in kindergarten. Did, were you saying accountant in kindergarten? <laughs> you know, my poppy was an accountant, so it was kind of, it was in the family and, you know, people knew what, what it was all about and all the rest. Um, and my mum as well, she went into bookkeeping, so there was a bit of it in the family. Um, but no, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah, law was my thing. And then I didn't think this could get any worse. I know, right? right. <laughs> and this is even before like suits was a thing. But uh, and then I sort of looked into it a little bit more. But really, accounting was was where I was at. A few few um, influential teachers along the way that really steered me towards that. And numbers was my thing, so I went down that path instead. 
So numbers you can do a number of ways, but you applied your numbers to property. What what was it about property? Was that just sort of like the manifestation of wealth creation and merging of numbers or was there some other interest that made you look into property? No, property I guess was always always my thing. I've always been interested in it, even as a youngster. Just, you know, all of my family love to talk about shares and I'm the black sheep that likes to talk about property. <laughs> So, you know, it would come to the weekend and, you know, my brother would run off with a motoring section out of the paper and my dad would have the sport and mum would be looking at the obituaries and who's died this week and all the rest. And I'd be um, grabbing out the real estate section and rifling through that. So, I don't know, it was just always there that was an interest. And now you're a buyer's agent. What was the inspiration? Obviously, you've, you've done a few deals yourself. You talked about the plan going out the door. Um, you've, you've honed your trade craft and, and I guess want to help other people. Can you give us a, an insight into what made you want to be a buyer's agent? It's funny because you say it like it's intentional. <laughs> <laughs> it was not intentional at all. So for me, I left the accounting world and I was just doing this property investing thing full time which was a little bit interesting to explain. Um, and that got a bit lonely in itself. So there's a bit of a world, you know, tradies have their little world and you walk into council to do DAs and stuff and they have their little clan going on there. And then there's just sort of me with a kid on my hip sort of trying to juggle all of this and it got a bit lonely. So I, um, I started running some monthly meetings for property investors here in Canberra. We just get together once a month at the library and I'd arrange a speaker on various topics for example, tax depreciation or something like that. I feel sorry for them. <laughs> no, it was really good because everyone kept each other, you know, that momentum going, that accountability and, you know, someone would get up and say what their deal was doing, what they were focusing on. So it kept us all sort of with that common interest together and I guess it was through that that people also started asking for a bit of help and also became known as the go-to among friends and family to ask property help how did you find that deal so i'm like oh well bring some wine and i'll show you my excel spreadsheet that's one of my unsuccessful pickup lines actually (laughs) (laughs) excellent keep trying uh, (laughs) you never know but yeah it was over one dinner with my husband we went out and he said look these people that you're helping it's great that you love doing this but seriously your knowledge is worth something. I think you should charge for what, you, what you're doing and what you're helping them. I said, oh, that's not a job. I can't charge for that. It's not a real job. And then he said, well, let's look into it because I think, you know, this is what you want to do and you're having a bit of fun with it, so take it seriously. And lo and behold, a buyer's agent is a thing. Yeah, a buyer's agent is born. I think that's fantastic. That's the, that's the holy grail of jobs. You've turned what you were doing on the side as a passion thing into – you know, full-time gig for you. So well done. Let's, um, let's dive into the other elephant in the room. We've done accounting. Now we're going to have to talk about Canberra. Um, now I've had some lovely times in Canberra, obviously the school trips and that sort of stuff. I've, um, taken a photo impersonating, uh, Paul Keating, which was hilarious. Um, swimming in Burley Griffin, dodging algal blooms, but, um, Let's let's tackle the the Canberra slur straight on. People talk about it being sort of sterile and planned, which actually I think is a good thing because it's a bit easier to get around. But it's full of politicians who are best avoided. But what is it like to live in Canberra? Oh, you know, I love this question and I love that people hate on Canberra so much. <laughs> it keeps us the little secret, the little gem that we are. 
And I think it really depends who you talk to and, and what sort of experience you have. Because, you know, as you say, since year six camp, it's changed a fair bit. We are a pretty conservative town overall. Um, you know, the born out of the need for public servants to, to be here and sort of emerged in the 50s and 60s. But these days, I like to think of Canberra as a bit of a teenager. You know, we're coming from a big country town. We're evolving and changing. We've, gosh, we've even got a, a hipster precinct now. You can go and sort of milk crates and sip your coffee. And... Wow. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I just love it. It's, it's lovely and clean. We've got no billboards. There's no houses built on those hilltops. So it's very peaceful. As soon as you step away from that little bit of, you know, rush minute, it's not quite rush hour, but, uh, yeah, it's a very, um, it's a changing place, but I like it. We call it the bush capital. And I don't think many people outside of Canberra know that we call it the bush capital, but it's very, um, yeah, peaceful and serene. That makes sense to me because it's the only place I can think of with such a population, but you drive for five minutes and you can see a kangaroo in any direction. Five minutes is normally enough and you can see bush or maybe I'm, I'm, there's a bit of hyperbole there, but it doesn't take long to get outside of the place. Oh, gosh, I've got kangaroos on my front lawn and Governor-General's got heaps of them too. But, <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere, absolutely everywhere. There you go. And the hipsters, they find their way everywhere. In fact, uh, they've, um, it was probably a year or so ago that I was last in Canberra and there's a foodie scene. In fact, the best Italian I've ever had was in Canberra. Now, admittedly, I haven't been to Italy. I assume there's, there's one or two better there. But um, I've, done, I've done the rounds, you know, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, a few different places. Um, but Canberra, best best Italian, I'm calling it. Absolutely. And, you know, I have clients that joke they eat their way through the alphabet, so they start with, you know, restaurants starting with ABC. It's a great way to go, and you get through them all, but there's quite a few really nice hatted things. But also the I love the little suburban ones that turn into something. We've got this great um, Thai one called Morks, and it's just evolved out of a little suburban shopping, shopping centre, now to be, you know, within its own right, doing collaborations with other other chefs around town and yeah those guys are kicking goals i love the meritocracy of that and uh i've now got a new year's resolution to eat my way through the alphabet that's fantastic <laughs> but now moving away from the sort of esoteric canberra to the uh the numbers canberra which i guess is even more in your wheelhouse there was a presentation that i saw that i we probably won't mention the name but it was an off the plan sort of developer and obviously got to take that sort of stuff with a grain of salt but there are a couple of key things that they mentioned about canberra which sort of highlighted at least in their mind it being a great place to invest um they were the fastest growing population in Australia at 2.1%, fastest economic growth at 4%, lowest vacancy rate at 0.6%, which seems incredible. Rental yields are right up there at 5.6%, unemployment at 37 And of course, my personal favourite was the 140 vineyards within 35 minutes drive of the CBD. That can't be true, can it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of those numbers are a little bit old. I think I might have been looking at like 2017 stats maybe, and we've got some, some newer stuff out. But it, it is along those similar lines but the thing is when you look at those those figures because we are such a little small fish when you look at the, the bigger capital cities it's, it's all relative so I mean Melbourne's also up there with about two percent growth and Canberra's are around two percent growth population growth here but looking at that in sort of real numbers in Melbourne that means they're adding on I had a look at these stats myself and you know that means they're adding 120,000 people whereas for us it's 
8,000 and something. I was going to say, the Thompsons, so, here they are. Yeah. Welcome then, the next 2%. It's not quite that bad. Well, we can't quite name them, but yes, it's, uh, it is growing, but, and there is lots of uh, green fields um, being released and new land estates and things, but, you know, it's still getting there. I mean, we've had good solid growth. So, I mean, economic growth for the ACT, that's, I looked over the last three years to see that trend there, and it is 12% over three years. So, we're pretty solid. Um, yeah, the economy is valued around $40 billion, so it's growing. Wow. And and the vacancy rates and the rental yields, I'm presuming the vacancy rates are a, a little bit higher than 0.6%, but, you know, anything under two is probably good territory, but I think it's probably half that or thereabouts. Is that right? Oh, you know, I take a little bit of objection to these, these stats when they throw them out like that because, I mean, the Canberra market isn't a Canberra market. We don't just chuck it all in one basket and off we go. All those little sub-markets, the micro-markets, there's no blanket rule to say, all right, pick that property in that pocket town. There you go. You'll get 0.6% vacancy. Absolutely not. And we've definitely got the two-tier market happening in town with the houses and the units. And there's a lot more units in the pipeline ready to come. So tread with caution when you see these stats thrown at you because you've really got to look at where they're getting them from and does it really apply to when we're looking at the nitty-gritty and get down to that sort of portfolio analysis type of, uh, you know, looking to find a property. It's, um, it's hard to really make sense of those numbers. I think that's all the more reason why you should engage a, a local expert that understands the place because, I mean, um, obviously you can tell from my intro I've got really bugger all idea about how Canberra works. So no, th- thank- no. <laughs> thankfully I've, I've, I've outsourced it to the, to the listeners. I've got a, a Canberra expert in yourself, Claire. Can you, can you help us to understand the place? What, what are the main um, employers? We obviously know, you know there's a lot of government agencies and that sort of stuff, but can you tell us about these little pockets and some of the key areas of of the greater ACT and what makes them tick? Yeah, of course. Of course, you know, as you said, Canberra being so planned, we do, we're made up of all these little satellite towns and then connected with all those arterial roads. So we're up to the north, we've got Gungan as a little cluster, which people have been saying, wow, rapid growth up there. And that's really just because they're releasing a bucket load of land. So of course, you're going to get population growth up there. And then, you know, Belconnen, which was where I grew up, sort of a child of the housing there of the, the 70s. And then, um, you know, you've got uh, the inner north and then the inner south, and we're getting down south into the Western Creek, Woden. Um, and, yeah, it sort of emerges then, then you get down towards Tuggerong, and then there's some new greenfield estates out to Mullongloy, where they came before, uh, remember the bushfires from 2003? Yeah, so, yeah, let's just... Put some housing out there. Right. Yeah, why not? What could so go wrong? Exactly, right? <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, so... It's yeah, a one in 50-year event. We know we've got at least another 47. Oh, gosh. Yeah, the actual land it's being built on. Yeah, there's some um, questions around that as well. But, uh, you know, as for the major employers, we've obviously got government agencies. That's a big thing, unless Barnaby Joyce has a bit more uh, say in that. But uh, politics aside, we've, we've got five universities there's talk of another one to come with another collaboration with the University of New South Wales. Small, medium enterprises, that's definitely a big thing. We've got a lot of um, focus on helping startups, uh, the Canberra Innovation Network. If you've heard of the likes of eWay, you know that online? Yeah, so... I'm a client, as it turns out. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, Matt sold that uh, for 50 mil. 
Um, Intellidocs, you might not know about them. They've just sold, yeah, yeah, again, software banking sort of. Um, so multi-million dollar transactions and all homes, which has been sold to Domain. So Canberrans here all use all homes to search for property. And outside the ACT, no one seems to know much about all homes, but Domain has now absorbed that. So that they bought that for 50 mil. So there's a bit of a, you know, a, I guess, yeah, the SMEs, uh, also tourism. That's another big thing they're trying to to really build up, domestic, international as well. So everyone remembers um, Nana's favourite, Floriad. Uh, but now they're also looking to things like making Canberra a mountain biking mecca. Yeah, and really getting the tourism off the back of that. But we've also got a lot of um, medical specialists here, uh, radiology, and there's a new women and children's hospital. So there's... Yeah, they're trying to really supplement that and get away from just being you know, the federal agencies, the ATO and Department of Health and all of that. Yeah, so they're around, of course, but... ASIO as well. I've seen that little eagle statue sort of thing. That's terrifying. <laughs> Looking down at you. Yeah, yeah. Work harder. <laughs> I can see your search history. Oh, no. Tax legislation. I'm so embarrassed. No, people know that about me. And you as well. Uh, oh, well, you know, I try not to... Not to advertise the <laughs> What about um, Can- Canberra as a long-term prospect? I mean, it's a fairly robust market. It seems to sort of weather the downturns pretty well and just just chug along. I mean, even at the moment where we're we're sort of bouncing off the bottom, it, it seems to be it seems to be outperforming a lot of areas. Is 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 the past sort of robustness and 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 growth figures a reasonable indication that that's going to continue? Do you think? Yeah, Canberra is a pretty boring place to invest. It's not that sexy, you know. It's not the the huge peaks and troughs. We we pretty much just chug along, as you know, nice conservative town, and a lot of people like to park their little nest egg money here. And uh, but yeah, I think it's a, a great place in terms of a nice safe market. We don't have those big overcorrections that the other major capitals do, and you know, nice high average incomes here. It's a really yeah solid place to park your money, and uh, but it's not sexy, not at all. But I, I think the you know if there's one theme of this podcast, and probably a theme that I run um, quite quite consistently is is that um it's not about sexy um and and the the sexy sort of beguiling things are often where you get yourself into into trouble so if it's a market that you know behaves pretty uniformly and you've got a long-term view then you know what why can't it be a good choice than than looking at some of the more speculative areas exactly it's just at the dinner party when you say oh my investment properties in canberra runs oh, canberra yeah <laughs> yeah show show us your 20 percent growth on that one it's not yeah it's maybe not going to happen but you're not going to get the the, the negative 18 percent peak to trough sort of stuff there as well i'm guessing yeah, absolutely although we are sort of as well a bit exposed in terms of the sheep mentality of the market responding to the media you know oh, the property markets have crashed and everyone in Canberra does get a bit skittish when these conservative public servants think, oh, what's going to happen here? But we (laughs) tend to, yeah, we just tend to get flat and just chug along. Yeah. What are some of the quirks and unusual things people need to know when they're actually transacting in the ACT? Mm, We definitely have some quirks. Uh, Gosh, transacting from a development point of view, our state government is our local government, so that in itself has a bit of bureaucratic fun when you're trying to put DAs in and things like that. But here, the land here, we've got leasehold titles. So, 
you know, some woman with a crown in the UK thinks that she owns the place. Shout out to Liz. I don't think she's a listener. G'day, <laughs> Liz. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we've got a 99-year lease on most of the land here. There's a little bit out of the airport that is freehold land. You can see there's a bit of development out there with what they're, they're doing out there. So, yeah, once 99 years roll around you, you pay another dollar to the boss and she gives you another 99 years lease. Thinking back to some real estate um, studies, obviously freehold uh, freehold title, which is the normal way we buy sort of uh, you know the land that our house sits on, um, separate to leasehold title, which is like the tenant that has the lease sort of thing, or you can sublease the house. But that all sits on on crown title anyway. But I guess in say New South Wales and Queensland, that sort of crown title, there's no we're not really paying for that, are we? Other than like the land rates and that sort of stuff, how is is that different with the ACT? You, you've you've got to you've got to renew every ninety nine years. Like she might take up the option to say, you know, like I'm, I have, Philip and I are moving to Canberra. <laughs> I would like to your house. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Yeah. So I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's very much the same. But I know some people can get a bit oh uneasy. Oh, I don't actually own the land. But you know, realistically, is she really going to come back and say, look, I need to reclaim all of Canberra for my own? It would be a, a mass case of, you know, that castle, the movie The Castle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, compulsory acquisition. Yeah, yeah. So there would be, you know, a bit of a, a backlash politically. I don't think it would be a good move to do. But, I mean, other than that, we've got land tax for investors. So land tax, there's no land threshold. So you really have to be aware that anything you buy, there's no threshold. So we're, we've got to factor that in from dollar one. But because we do have leasehold title, without being your tax advisor and advising you professionally, but uh, most people find that they can claim stamp duty as an immediate tax deduction. Aha. Uh-huh. So that's, yeah, so there's swings and roundabouts on both sides. Absolutely. Nice little perk. Certainly roundabouts. That's, a, yeah. that's oh, an unintended Canberra joke. <laughs> We love our roundabouts so much, we now put traffic lights on the roundabouts. Actually, I used to live in Griffith, which was designed by Burley Griffin, the same bloke that did the Canberra, did his best work in Canberra. So it was a roundabout place too. So it feels sort of somewhat (laughs) calming as I sort of hoon around in a nonsensical direction in order to get to where I need to be. You've got to wonder what the guy was smoking at the time. Oh, yeah. he's, he's done well. He's done well. The traffic, the traffic congestion seems to be better than elsewhere. What about, um, let's talk about you being a buyer's agent. Obviously, being, being a bean counter, it's going to have affected your mentality and your personality, although there's no evidence of that yet. Um, but, but how do you, how do you approach a, a, a deal? I'm, I'm assuming that you, you, can, you can take the girl out of accounting, but you can't take accounting out of the girl. Does that change? the way that you do your due diligence and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think that's fair to say it does. It's, um, I guess it's always in, in how you're trained and you do take some of those skills with you and how you approach the whole deal. So, yeah, I'm very systematic. I, look, I start right with the macro factors and then work with the client to get right down to micro before we're rather than I know others that come into the role come from that sales background which is all about overcoming objections and closing the sale rather than really looking at it from that, you know, objective point of view about, hey, where does this really sit within the portfolio and how do we go about doing that? So, yeah, it's definitely flavoured my work 
and even how I do my reporting and how I work with my clients. Everything's very, has an accounting flavor, which I think is nice when you're working in that advisory role. Where are sort of people mostly engaging you? Are you working for owner-occupiers and, and investors or do people come to you with certain briefs? Yeah, you know, I thought when I started out I really would be just the investors. That was my background. That was my skill set. And then I found, no, it was really the owner-occupiers that wanted that advice at that time, this is you know, five years ago now, about where's a good area? Oh, you know, I'm moving for work and I want to know where's a good area. So I found that I really sort of shifted my work and worked a lot with those. But now that Canberra is coming back into the spotlight and it's a little bit of, you know, people are like, oh, it's the latest hotspot. I love the word hotspot. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love it? Yeah. 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 So now I'm finding I'm coming back a little bit more and working more with investors. But yeah, all of my work's always pretty tailored to the client. And and what sort of what sort of service? I mean, I I, I was a little bit naive with what buyers agents actually do. I, I I assumed that everyone was sort of full service, but people can engage a buyers agent to just sort of help them make sure they're not overpaying or just to represent them purely at auction. All sorts of different bits and pieces. Typically, how how do you sort of work and how do you help people? Yeah, I mean, it's such a great role in that you can skin the cat many different ways and that's what people need. I tend to find people come to me with one of three scenarios. Either they've found the property and that's great. Okay, you found that property, you're happy with it, I'm happy with it, let's, let's move ahead and help you purchase that. Or they come to me and say, look, I'm happy to do the searching, but can you point me in the right direction? And that's so there's a service for that called the guided search where it's instead of them just going pin the tail on the donkey, it's giving them a bit of direction as to where to look, what to look for and what to avoid. And then once they do find something, we have a good conversation about, is that a good one for you? Is this looking like it could be a great option? And then we proceed and purchase it for them. Or some people, as you say, the full search where they just go, Claire, here is what I want. Off you go. Go and shortlist it for me and do all the reporting back to me and then we purchase that for them. So that's how I tend to work with my clients. It's all fee-for-service-based. There's no commissions or anything like that. It's all very much fixed-fee approach as well. How prevalent are buyers agents in the ACT? Uh, I presume it's it's something that's not as potentially in vogue as it is in uh, in New South Wales and Victoria? Are there many buyers agents and, and do buyers agents sort of do a, a, a big chunk of the transactions in, in the ACT? So I'm stroking my ego, yes, we're everywhere. We do so much. No, not at all. <laughs> Canberra, it's, uh, it's not common. I mean, there's a few around, a uh, few also work part-time, a uh, few are also selling agents and they do a bit of buying on the side, which I... Um, don't really agree with personally as an approach, but uh, there's also brokers and solicitors that do a bit of moonlighting, but none of them really work as I do with a client to really, you know, go from the very beginning to make sure that the purchase actually meets their investing goals, and works in with their portfolio. A lot of them are just like, oh, you know, I can stick my hand up for you at auction, which to me, I mean, you can get your dog to go and stick your hand up at auction, but it's what's the skill set, what's the experience that they bring, what the value do they add? Speaking of which, um, obviously went to the um, Real Estate Buyers Agents Association conference um, where I met yourself and there was a gentleman there talking about 
auctions and auction psychology and how he reads the audience and how how to sort of I guess manipulate things to the way that you want them to happen and it was it was a bit terrifying I actually kind of thought yeah I could have a crack at an auction but after that I thought oh dear uh, no stick to what you know um, you mentioned your that in that first auction you had a, a very detailed accountanty plan that went out the window which which definitely happens as an emotional sort of time um, how, how do you help people at, at auctions and can you give us a bit of an insight and and are there many auctions in the ACT oh my gosh yeah it's definitely auctions in the ACT very popular method of sale here especially for freestanding homes but in terms of you know how it um, how it works was horses for courses and there's so many different ways to to approach it depending on what's happening in the auction but um yeah it's uh it's an interesting thing and i think as you say you don't know what you don't know until you're consciously aware of the fact that oh actually there's a lot more to it than that where some people just go oh you know i've I've heard people give advice just be the first that's it just stick your hand up at the beginning and even if you don't get it well you'll get the box of chocolates and to me i just think oh my gosh that is like if that's your strategy fine but do it for a much better reason than a you know six dollar packet of chocolates we're spending it almost a million bucks here in most cases our median's up around 740 yeah right and yeah like to think that you're just throwing it all away on for the sake of a box of chocolate that's just a very poor approach they sell them at culls (laughs) do these people not know this Oh, funny. So, yeah, for me, I mean, there's it's so many different ways depending on what's happening, depending on who's auctioning the property, depending how the campaign's been going. Are you the only one that's there? How do you do in that situation? Oh, sorry, excuse me, in that situation when it's passed in. So there's a lot of different things that people don't really think about until they're in the thick of it, as I did with that first auction. You think, oh, this is not how I thought it would happen. What do I do now? Oh, no, I haven't thought about this. One thing that I learned um, in attending auctions and, and um, watching um, an advocate bid, they they have a they have a set number that's their absolute maximum, right? Like I guess you have to have a client sign off on that. Um, there would be some science as to how round that number is, I'm guessing, because psychologically, I guess people see certain numbers as a barrier, which is really just sort of some sort of human construct, right? So maybe having a budget of an extra two if your budget is 750 752 could could win it you'd hate to lose it by one and when you have that budget and you're at sort of like let's say 747 and you're going up in ones the advocate's got to do the calculation to go okay well if they do one and i do one and they do one and i do one do i land on my maximum or or am i one short and they hit my maximum and then i can't go one more Mm, well, you do have to think ahead and be quick with the numbers, as do the auctioneers, but you really, you know, again, being good with the numbers, but it's kind of like, you know, a, an expensive game of poker, really, isn't it? So you're thinking about their moves. Yeah, with someone else's money. <laughs> well, it's a big responsibility, definitely. And, you know, if you get yourself caught out, there's quite easily you could be the one that doesn't walk away with the property because you haven't done your calculations correctly. But also, I mean, if you're mucking around with the ones back and forth, one, one, one at the end there, well, if that's your strategy, well, maybe that wasn't the way to play it. 
but it's yeah. hard to say as a blanket rule. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting what you say about sort of picking, you know, those psychological numbers to me. What's the difference between 650 and 680? 30K, whereas you're looking at like, well, once you sort of get to 680 versus 710, well, that's that's a big, oh, in the 700s now. Yeah, 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 the 700s. I remember the, the media sort of saying that the median house price in Sydney will never be over a million dollars because it's a psychological barrier and people are, people are not going to want to pay more than that. And now that's sort of funny. <laughs> and who came up with that? You know, some boffin sitting in a room, not in the real world. Yes, not dealing with people's emotions. Exactly right. So based on your experience, are there any sort of auctions that you've been to that have really stuck out um, for you where you've sort of, you know, dominated your opposition or you've seen investors sort of just go in with completely the wrong approach or being sort of transparent and you can see exactly what they're thinking and what they're doing? Mm, body language, yeah, it's a big giveaway. So, I mean, once you know what you're looking for and those sort of little signs, it's a, the secrets, I guess, uh, yeah, you can read people. You can exactly see what's going on. And the auctioneers are also trained in that too. So I like to go along to all the auctioneer training as well and learn what they're learning and then apply That's it. That's cheating, surely. Oh, well, you've got to do what you can to get your own advantages really and keep up with and see what they're doing. But they also like it too. I mean, it's a symbiotic relationship. You need each other. Yep. Yeah, and and I and, and as, as I understand it, auctioneers are happy if there's a buyer's agent in attendance because they're they're more likely to sort of open the bidding and be reasonable rather than just sort of hanging at the back and waiting for it to basically you know be oxygen starved and then jump in. Well, I mean that's another strategy too, but yeah, definitely auctioneers know that you're there to buy, and it's yeah you work together professionally. Because at the end of the day, you both want the transaction. They want to sell it for the highest. You want to sell it, buy it for the lowest. It's That's where the tension lies. But at the end of the day, yeah, you've got to uh, approach it from a professional point of view rather than think, oh, I'm going to play games here. I know that you don't probably want to give away too much of your secret sauce, Claire, but the, the, the body language stuff, can you give us some insights? And, and like I know that you guys actually know who's going to bid. Like you can look around, you can look around, see 50 people, and you could pick the three bidder groups or the three individuals how what what's the what's the witchcraft that goes on there oh well, i guess you, you sort of you know look into body language there's, there's a lot of yawning um people when they're stressed and a bit anxious often start yawning so if you notice sort of repeated yawning there that can be a sign uh, of course the old swallowing where people are nervous they swallow or people think you know wearing dark sunnies and lurking in the background is going to help them so the more i guess the more intentional they appear sometimes can be a real giveaway that they're they're trying really hard to look like they're they're not going to be it and their arms crossed they're not here for that and it just stands out like a sore thumb Mm, that's an interesting thing. So the more sort of subtle and clandestine you think you're being, the more the more a buyer's agents clocked you and you're in trouble. <laughs> you stand out. Absolutely. It's quite funny, really. For homework, we'll go and look at uh, Bill Clinton's Monica Lewinsky, Lewinsky speech. There's got to be some clues in that one. Oh, my gosh. They, uh, yeah. 
So can you just getting back to to investors and and I guess you know since I've I've trapped a buyer's agent that specialises in the ACT into this interview, what 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 should they be looking at if there's people that are that are wanting to 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 do it themselves, um, they're wanting to get into into Canberra somewhere somehow. What what are some of the things that they should be looking at and and do you think there's there's areas where there's some real opportunity for 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 good sort of long term capital growth? Yeah, happy to help. Um, in the ACT, I think you really got to look out for establishing fact over opinion. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I know Canberra, I can tell you where the motor invest went by. But when you're establishing fact and looking at sort of those areas, those satellite towns we looked at, I mentioned before, you're really looking for something that's established and something that has demonstrated growth over the long term low risk rather than, as you say, buying off the plan, something with a bit of sexy marketing with all the hype around it. I like to go and tend to prefer more the, the boring ones, the ones that uh, you know what you're in for, you know what the body corporate's doing if you're buying into a building. But also in Canberra, we've got public housing scattered throughout all the suburbs. So it's not like we have these little clusters of, of ghettos or anything like that. So you do have to be careful where you're buying into because it's not always obvious where those public housing are. And many a time, oh, it's happened time and again, where you've heard or you've seen at auction, some interstate come in, buy, pay through the nose for something that everyone knows was a bit of a lemon, and they walk away head held high thinking they got a bargain. Oh, I only paid 800 for that house. And everyone else is going, oh, paid 800 what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's worth 710 yeah. On a good yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And it's next door to the bikies and all the rest. So, yeah, you really do have to know the area like a local. So we're talking, I guess your sweet spot for, for investors is is the established market and, and, and is it the strata title property or do you look more to, to, to houses or is it the small block units? Where, 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 are we, where are we looking? Yeah, it really does depend on the investor. I mean, some people really have a bit more tolerance for risk. Others are looking for something really just you know, safe and secure and lock it in for 20 years and just get me as much land underpinning that as we can. So, you know, horses for courses there, but, I mean, the basics are always there. I mean, the proximity to, to Civic, we don't have a CBD. We call it Civic. So you really we want to be nice to that and nice and close to that geographical heart of Canberra. So other areas that I think will be ripe for growth, Belconnen and Western Creek, there's a lot of um, homes in there of the 60s and the 70s where people are renovating that. So, yeah, it's quite a, a gentrifying area and the, the suburban shops are being renewed. So there's a bit of life coming back into the burbs. Is there, like with Belconnen and Western Creek, are there sort of, uh, could you sort of point to like equivalences in, say, Sydney and Melbourne, like is Western Creek like a Fitzroy or a Mossman or a Mount <laughs> Not a Mossman, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard because Canberra is its own thing. Sometimes you can draw parallels with, with other areas, but because, you know, we don't quite have the, the long history that most other you know, big cities do, um, it is hard. But, uh, oh, gosh, I'm just trying to, trying to think of an area that would look cool. It's probably your listeners are shouting out to me, oh, it's this, it's that. <laughs> Everyone's got their opinion, but at the end of the day. Send your comments too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Send me, Claire you know, Corby, care of Gear for Growth. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, they are sort of, you know, about that 10K mark from the CBD and just sitting under that 
that median house price of affordability. So I think that's where we're going to see a bit of interest. Yeah, beautiful. And can you just sort of recap if, if people are wanting to, to get in touch with you and, and uh, how they can get in touch with you and what sort of services you offer, Claire? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're looking to find me and track me down and stalk me online, feel free to do so. I'm on all the usual channels. So we've got Facebook, uh, which I'm on there as Capital Buyers Agency. There's Instagram. I'm on my handle there is Capital Buyers. You can stalk what I've been doing, what I've been buying and what I think about it. Um, the website, of course, so www.capitalbuyersagency.com.au. Um, I also put up my blog, uh, not as frequently as I should, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, too busy working. But, uh, yeah, the services, so it's all fee-for-service. I do everything a nice fixed flat fee. I only get uh, get paid by my clients, so there's none of that, you know, paid by developer nonsense and selling agents with commission and conjunction and things like that in there. So it's all very, um, very simple and straightforward. I like to keep things simple. Beautiful. And uh, all those all those networks are pretty easy to remember. Capital buyers, it's capital, it's ACT. It all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't overthink it. <laughs> thanks, um, thanks for sharing the gold with us today, Claire. But if there's if we can sort of zero you in, if there's one piece of advice that you could give to property investors, what would you pick? One piece of advice. I always like think of what my grandparents told me. You know, we'd be sitting around the. Um, an afternoon tea, about to blow out the birthday cake candles for someone's birthday. And uh, I remember they turned to me and said to me, Claire, invest in what you know. Ah, okay. Yeah, I've definitely lived with that and um, tried to live by that. So if you don't know, find someone who does, someone you can trust. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's funny because we, we do turn to some people when they appear to have all the confidence and the bravado and and it's that again that establishing fact over opinion rather than your mum's friend who lived in Canberra 30 years ago and said oh definitely Tuggeranong's the place to go that's got to grow <laughs> yep. yeah so I would say invest in what you know yep invest in what you know or what you what who you know knows exactly right <laughs> and if you don't know then go and find someone who really does beautiful I think that's great advice Claire it's been a pleasure thanks very much for for sharing your wisdom today um, and uh, all the best thank you for having me cheers Music